You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries. A community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Today in the driver's seat, I have Laura Landis. She has been a welder and fabricator in the automotive industry for over seven years. She's traveled with drifting race teams and worked at a high-end company that specializes in header and exhausts for race cars. Thank you for joining us, Laura. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. One of the things that interests me about you was, well, one, you reached directly out to me on Instagram and shared a little bit of your story. This is someone that I want to get in the driver's seat so that you can share your perspective with other women in the community. So here we are. Why don't you go ahead and share with the listeners your journey a little bit? And if you kind of start back where your interest got peaked around why you're in the automotive industry. All right. I guess it started uh, when I was in high school. I wasn't really into cars yet, but I had gotten a job when I was a junior working at Autobell Car Wash. It was just a high school job, way to make money. I ended up being really good at it. They ended up promoting me to assistant manager by the time I was a senior in high school. So I went off to college. I continued working there throughout while I was in college. That's when I, I went to school in the mountains. And so everybody's driving Subarus or lifted Jeeps. That's when I really started getting interested in cars because I really like the bug eye WRXs and Jeep XJs. And Caught the bug, the automotive bug. Yep. From there, uh, like I ended up transferring back to Charlotte, North Carolina, my hometown for, uh, to a school there. Like I kept, I started detailing cars, went from working at just the car wash to starting working in dealerships and the interest kept growing. When I was in college, I was, I had a 98 Camry, super good, typical first car. I was a broke ass college kid. So I figured it'd be cheaper to learn how to do like brake pads and oil changes and everything on my own. I had a friend teach me how to do that and was like, oh, this is actually really fun. Started just trying to figure out how to do more regular routine maintenance on my car. That Camry and after that, I got, I bought my dad's 1992 325i. It's the BMW E30 chassis. I like absolutely was I well, still am in love with that car. I've had that car for going on eight years now. At this point, as I was majoring in college in criminal justice and sociology, at this point, I was kind of thinking, well, I don't really want to do anything with that degree. I kind of would rather like learn how to work on cars more and do something with my hands. My Both my parents were completely against it at the time. They were like, no, this is just a phase. Like You'll grow out of it. You're not really into cars. You don't really want to do that. You don't really want to you know, get dirty every day. What do you think? I'm, I'm just curious to get your take on it, Laura. Like, what's kind of your view on the girls shouldn't get dirty? <laughs> well, 
And my parents, I guess I shouldn't say the whole like, oh, well, you don't really want to like get dirty because I I grew up in a skate park. Like I grew up skateboarding with my brother. And so I grew up breaking bones and getting dirty. Generally, Uh, I was always kind of a tomboy playing sports and stuff. As far as like, you know, working with my hands every day, being greasy, like I'd gone to school for criminal justice. They all my life, they were like, you know, you're going to work for the FBI, you're going to be a lawyer or something like that. And while that was interesting to me, like that just kind of shifted blood pumping they were still kind of like i don't know and around that time was when i was like well i really want a the e30 was an automatic transmission i really wanted a manual i didn't really know how to drive a manual well at the time. I had driven one maybe a handful of times, just pulling cars in and out of the bay for detailing and stuff. That was about it. And I didn't ha- I couldn't afford to buy a second car. So I one weekend, two of my friends came over and we swapped the transmission in the E30 to a manual. I remember that I like love I remember it. my dad's face when he because we were doing it in his garage. I remember my dad's face when he came out and it was just like holy shit, she is serious about <laughs> This this is no joke now. This is not a... Yeah, I feel like that was kind of the turning point for both of them as far as like, okay, no, like she actually is serious about this here. And that was a huge accomplishment for me because up until that point, I had done like a valve adjustment and regular maintenance on that car. Other than that, I was like, all right, I'm going to be weighing over my head. There were a lot of cussing and tears and oh man, I'm never going to drive this car again over the weekend but we got it going she's currently not running but um, i'll deal with that later (laughs) i filled out the form you had talked about working at a dealership and a customer coming through while you actually had their transmission out of their car yes i just uh, sharing that with the viewers i found that interesting Yes. Um, after I stopped detailing cars, uh, I had managed to get a job at a local BM, like classic BMW and Porsche shop. So I started out like doing the part sales for them, the used part sales and everything online, and like gradually made my way into the shop there. They eventually gave me a bay and like had me apprenticing under their like lead technician. Yeah, I remember one year one day the the owner of the company was walking a customer through the shop, and I overheard the. Uh, customers say to my boss, don't really feel comfortable with a woman working on my car. Like at that time, like I wanted to just turn around and be like, oh, you want to put your transmission back in yourself then? Like, why is your, why is your car here having, having to have me work on it? Just held my tongue. And my boss was actually super supportive about that and offered to have like, oh, I understand, man. You want, uh, if you want, you can just take the car as is. I can recommend some <laughs> That and so I was just sitting there like, oh hell yeah, thank you. Throw your tranny in your trunk and tow it somewhere for you. Now you had mentioned that at that particular dealership, all your coworkers were very supportive and very helpful. Yeah, they were. They were all like really supportive, and anytime I had any questions or anything, they would be glad to help. Were you the only female in that particular dealership? Yes, I was. Lone Wolf. You had also shared about, I believe it was at that same dealership, the Snap-on representative. Yeah. His old truck. So go ahead and share your story, my friend. <laughs> the Snap-on guy, you know, they walk through the shops passing out their flyers for what they got on sale that month and everything. And he's walking through, I'm working on a car. He walks by me, he's passing out flyers to people and he looks at me and he goes to hand me one and he's like, just kidding. You don't need that. You don't need tools. And kept walking and 
just kept passing them out to everybody else in the shop. And I'm just like, all right, cool. I'm never buying off of your truck. I'm telling you, or like, I hope someone from Snap On listens to this podcast. Oh, now that said, the Snap On guy uh, at a later job that I worked at that we'll get to. Yeah. Um, that Snap On guy was awesome. Nice. There, nice. There are, there are good Snap On guys out there, but yeah, just not that one. <laughs> My goodness, that's that's terrible. The so I guess if fast forward a little bit, you ended up taking a welding class. Yes, uh, while I was working at that BMW shop, I was kind of thinking about going to school to be an auto technician, just to like get like actual certifications and everything. But then I was like, well, welding sounds pretty fun, and I figured it would help with like my own projects at the house and in like my tech being a technician. You know, it would help to be able to fix stuff like that. I took a, I did the motorsports technology uh, classes at the local community college. And that taught us MIG and TIG welding and sheet metal fabrication. And I ended up like, I took it to like supplement doing mechanical work, but I actually like ended up falling in love with it kind of changed courses again where I was like, all right, no, this is what I want to do. Wow. It's interesting when I talk to women that end up getting into welding, it's like this almost love relationship where they didn't even start in that path at all. They kind of stumble upon welding and absolutely fall in love with it. Yeah. That's pretty much the impression that I've gotten from other women welders that I've met too. uh, You'd mentioned roll cage fab. And yeah. sheet metal fab. Do you do body work? I haven't done any body work. I would love to learn. I think that sounds really interesting. Um, I like through detail, I need to like paint and body paint and like dent removal and stuff like that a handful of times, but that was it. And then like buffing out scratches. But other than that, I haven't, no, no body work really. Like in the classes that I took, like we learned how to do sheet metal fabrication for like in a motorsport sense. So like if we were doing sheet metal fab for chassis and stuff like that, we'd mm-hmm. kind of have a baseline to go off, go from and learn from there. But I, I didn't, I never really went down like that path in my motorsports journey. Talk a little bit about your first welding job. My first welding job was at a manufacturing facility. Um, it was about an hour away from my house, and it was second shift, so it was from four till midnight. Uh, overtime was quite often, and that was till two a.m. So the like I was only there for three months. Those three months was four to two, and that was not a good job for me. The hours were terrible. It was super far away from my house. There was no heater AC. So I remember it being February and it already being 90 degrees in the shop with all the machines running. And I was just like, oh man, I'm going to die come this summer. The work was just really monotonous. It was like half MIG welding where I was, you know, just kind of, but I was just kind of like tacking nuts to stuff. It wasn't really getting to weld. And the other half of it was running the robotic welders, which was really interesting when I got to start learning how to program them and go in and actually fix parts of it. The majority of it was just loading a part and pushing a button and loading a part and pushing a button. And so I was like, all right, I cannot do this anymore. And so, you know, I went through a period there where I was just like, okay, let me rethink my entire career path here. Maybe welding's not for me. Maybe I should not do this. Maybe I should just go back to school and get my degree in criminal justice. I'm not cut out for it. So I ended up like just leaving that job 
you'd mentioned that you did, uh, you ended up doing part-time work at a uh, major commercial chain. We won't mention names, but a major commercial parts chain. And you had shared how up to this point, you've, you've had quite a bit of experience in the automotive industry as a whole. And thus far, at this major parts distributor, that's where you experience the most sexual discrimination. Yeah. Yeah. Up until this point, uh, through detailing, through mechanic work, through learning how to weld and my first welding job, everybody that I worked with, man or woman, was super supportive of me. Now, at the parts store, my coworkers there also, it was the same amount of respect from them that I've had anywhere else. Like It was another great team of people that I was working with. But yeah, it was the customers, on the other hand, that I was getting a lot of st- a lot of crap from. So, how does someone like you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Get a job right. somewhere like this? I'm like, what? Yeah, there was a guy who came in one time, and he I'm helping him find parts for his car, and he just asked me, "So, how does someone like you get a job somewhere like this?" And I just looked at him and I'm like, I filled out an application and I know, wow. I'm knowledgeable about the products the same way any of anybody else here has gotten a job here. Wow. And he was just kind of like, oh, oh, well, I, did, I didn't mean anything offense. By blah, blah, blah. You didn't there mean was. offense, but yet it came spewing out of your mouth. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just like, there's ways to phrase things, you know, yeah. like, I, have, I have had like, I have had people come in and be like, oh, it's not often that you see a woman doing this. How'd you get into it? That's That's, fine. That's That's an appropriate way to approach that. That's the way to do that. Yeah. Yeah. There was uh, there was another time that a guy came in. I'm the only person up at the front counter. It was me and my store manager working at the time. He was in the back on the computer. This customer came up to me and like is looking around, like he's looking for somebody, and asked me, you know, is there anything I can do to? Uh, can I help you look for anything? What are you, what are you working on? And he just looks at me as like, is uh, is there a man here that I can talk to? And so I hollered to the back and I'm just like, hey, uh-huh. uh, there's a gentleman up here who would like to speak with a man. And, <laughs> what what and, was the uh, look on his face when you said that? <laughs> he uh, and my boss, like he turned around and yelled back, making sure he was loud enough for the customer to uh-huh. hear and was like, tell him there's not a man here. He's going to have to talk to you. <laughs> and I was just like, hell yeah. Thanks. That's great. Oh, man. Well, it, it's interesting because through these interviews and talking with other women, you hear stories of the discrimination challenges, right? But yeah. there's so many stories of men supporting the women getting into this industry too. Yeah, there really are. It's just, you know, and I I always want to shed light on that as well. And that is a perfect example of how it works both ways. Oh, yeah. That's good stuff right there. Talk a little bit about the race shop that race shop sponsored a friend, a drift car. That's pretty Uh, fascinating. Do you mind talking a little bit about that? Yeah, not at all. Since I started getting into cars and started like getting into motorsports, I was really drawn to drifting. Uh, A friend of ours, uh, he had one of the, there was a shop near our house that sponsored his car and they were bringing in two other cars to have a three car drift team. And they were going to be competing in formula drift Canada. Uh, I came in there and was 
this was after I worked at the manufacturing facility and and after I worked at Autobell. What was what was that like traveling with them? And I, I guess kind of what was your experience from your perspective? Because there's there's all different perspectives when you talk about traveling with a race team. A lot of people when you think race and you say that to someone, they think NASCAR, they think NHR, but drifting is kind of like this mysterious kind of sexy thing, right? Um, What was your experience with that? It was really exciting to be able to like, well, go to all of the events. Um, That was great uh, because before I had only been able to like go to local ones, do ride alongs with people. um, And I had done like a couple track days myself seeing like, like being there and like helping one of the teams with like the pros and everything was. What kind of stuff would you have to do there? I mean, is it like literally on the spot welding type stuff? Oh, no, this wasn't uh, welding stuff. This one was uh, for the at that shop. What I did like while I was working there, not during race events was like doing roll cages and maintenance on the cars. Customers would come in for like mechanical work on their cars or they would come in and like want us to do a cage for them for such and such. Uh, It was a lot of rally cross cages and drift cages. When we were at the track, it was just to provide trackside support. So we were in French Canada. So I had taken some French in high school and college and didn't remember much of it, but I remembered enough to be able to order our food and write down the qualifying scores for the team. There you go. Yeah. Helpful in those ways, but also, you know, if he hits the wall, if something breaks on track, like we're out there watching what's going on, we're letting them know what's going on with other cars when they're out there, like spotting for him and like, hey, watch this guy's line here through this corner, or this guy breaks here. You know, if something breaks, we're all like sprinting back to the pit to like go and fix it. But yeah, it's it's really exciting because I've, I've been to uh, professional drift events uh, as a spectator before. Honestly, I prefer that over working <laughs> on a team because I like I, yeah. it's, I just prefer to go and enjoy myself and I'll be like, oh shit, I have to go like fix this thing now. But yeah, it was it was an exciting experience. I'm glad that I got to have. Now the next stop for you was working for a high-end header and exhaust shop. Let, just walk us through your ex- experience there, what you did there. And then I believe there's a an additional story that we want to explore a little bit there. Working for that team, it wasn't really steady enough to pay all the bills. So I was looking for something else. And this position was available, which I did not think I was qualified for at all. But I was like, well, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and send them my resume anyway. Um, You know, because they were saying that they wanted to have somebody with three to five years of welding experience, experience working like in, you know, specific kinds of shops and stuff, just, you know, stuff that I didn't think that they would hire me based off of my experience on. But I ended up actually getting called advice to anybody who's looking for jobs and doesn't think they have the experience. Like the worst they're going to do is tell you that you're not qualified, just apply for it. Because I ended up getting a, it ended up getting a phone call, uh, took a weld test and they started me off because they were like, you know, you're, it's all headers. So it's all like really thin walled uh, stainless steel and Inconel. So we're talking like 20 gauge and 22 gauge Inconel, uh, really thin stuff. They 
told me that I wasn't quite where they wanted to be welding wise yet, but that they wanted to bring me in to like get some more seat time in with the welder. But like I started out like cutting tubing and running the tumblers to polish all the headers and other parts. From there, like I had, hey, I was. Laura, I want to ask you a quick question just because I think it's an educational moment for folk women that may be going into this. Uh, you've mentioned a couple times for interviews doing a weld test. Can you kind of explain what what do they typically do in a weld test? I mean, obviously they have you weld, but is there something that you see as a common theme? I think it depends on like what kind of welding industry you're going into, really. I can't speak for, you know, like pipeline welders or anything like that. But the weld tests that I've had, you go in and, you know, they'll do normal interview stuff, ask you a couple questions, and then have you sit down with the welder. They'll have, you know, scrap pieces of metal that they've arranged however they want to arrange them and have you weld them together. Every weld test that I have taken, they just, they come over and they've, they always ask you like, well, are you happy with this? How do you feel like you did? Before they even tell you how they did, a lot of times they are looking for, um, for you to be able to take the constructive criticism. Um, if you are like, you know, it's okay to be like, Hey, yeah, I'm really proud of this. Yeah. Just to be able to, you know, yeah, I'm proud of this and here's why, or, Oh, I feel like this was good, but like, I don't really like this spot right here. Cause I feel like I could have done this a little bit better. And then if they do have some critique for your weld or something, then, you know, be able to take the constructive criticism. I feel like is what they're looking for is like where, what you can do and then how you're going to receive input from them. Maybe there's a woman getting ready to go in for her first interview, or maybe she's been in one and I think anything like that to help people kind of get an idea what to expect. Cause I imagine your first one, is kind of nerve wracking. And yeah. as you get kind of acclimated with probably gets a little, probably a little easier with practice. If we get back to um, the, the role that you had at the high-end header and exhaust company. How long were you with them? Uh, three years. You are with them for three years. Go ahead and let's walk the listeners through what you did there specifically and what you gained there, uh, and we'll explore the other story. After I was, well, yeah, they had me doing the tumblers and like some quality control stuff, uh, cutting tubing, uh, assembling headers for them to be shipped or picked up. After I got a little bit more seat time in welding, I started doing that a little bit more. And then they moved me to the collector department where I was building all of the exhaust collectors. That was, it was good there for a little while. Um, I got kind of bored pretty easily um, because it was like the working with the engineer to figure out like new ways to build new collectors or how to make the building of them just more efficient in general. I enjoyed that part of it. Um, when it was just running a batch of them, I, I, again, we're back to loading apart and telling the saw to cut. So I wasn't a huge fan of that. I, when we were slow, uh, the lead machine, the machinist there kind of like took me under his wing and cause I had expressed an interest in learning how to run the lathe and the end mill. And so once we started getting a little bit slow, um, I just tried to spend Educate like, me. What's an end mill parts or what does it? A, you know what a drill press, press is, right? Yep. 
Okay. Picture like a drill press. Like you can move the part on X, Y, and Z axis. Uh-huh. And you hook like a CNC control up to it. Um, there's different, like you can put more than just like a drill bit in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you needed to like bore something out a little bit or like do Got curves around a part or something. Got it. Okay. I think you explained it very well. So you you got some seat time with the lead welder. So yeah, I was trying to spend as much time as possible over there with the machinist because I just found all of that really fascinating. He was teaching me about like the different types of tooling, the different materials that tooling is made out of. There's so much science behind just different types of metal and how it can be hardened that I had no idea that was even a thing. I had no idea you could harden metal to harden tool steel to the point where like it will just shatter like glass. Didn't know that that was a thing. Oh. Yeah. All of that was super fascinating. Overall, though, my main position there was to be cutting the collectors. Get to, I didn't get to do as much in the machine shop as I would have liked to have. And I mean, I definitely would still be able to be doing stuff in the machine shop had I not left there. But what educate me here. What are collectors? In the header system, you've uh-huh. got like the flange, you've got the header tubes, and then where those tubes got come it. together to like form two into one tube, and then those two tubes into the one exhaust tube. Those pieces are the collectors that are just collecting the the tubes together, I guess, if that makes sense. Yep. Well. Yep. I'm with you. Perfect. So you had eventually, while you were with them, you went, you were invited to attend a trade show. Is that correct? Yes, I had the opportunity in 2017 to go to the PRI show in Indianapolis. That is the performance racing industry show. It's kind of like SEMA. They it's like specifically like only for the motorsports industry. So all the engine builders are there. Whereas I think SEMA is more like they have a lot more streetcar oriented stuff for like people who are modifying their own hot rods and everything. This is like just motorsports. With the focus on like racing. Yes. So that's in Indianapolis. Now, what what did you get to do there? I was helping run our booth there, just talking to customers if they'd walk by because there were buyers for um, like every, there were vendors and then there were buyers from race shops or race teams that were going out either looking for sponsors or just looking for stuff to build their car next year. So helping them out with some stuff, uh, showing them what all we carried and could make. Do you guys have do like presentations or anything? Do you actually do welding while you're there or anything? No, we just brought a, we just had some displays with some headers that we brought. You'd shared a story with me before. And if, um, is it okay if we discuss that? Yeah. Okay. You had a particular, you were getting some attention there. Maybe it was because you're a female Maybe just because you know your shit and yeah. people were listening. I, yeah, like I was actually getting a lot of like surprising to me too, because I'm not used to I'm just like, ah, no, nobody pay attention to me. Um, <laughs> there were a lot, there were a lot of people from other companies, uh, quite a few that had come over wanting to know how I got into it and kind of hear my story, like how I got into welding, how I started working with this company. There was actually a guy from, uh, another company who came over and he's he has a company based in Sweden. He asked if he could take a picture of me with like one of our headers to put on his website because he just he wanted to post that he made was tr- 
trying, like trying to get other Swedish women. He was like, Hey, Swedish girls, like there are women in the industry. Like here's this chick in America. Who's like doing this stuff. You guys, like we need women doing this. This is awesome. So I male supporting the women getting into the industry. Yeah, no, everybody, all older, older men that had come up to me and was like, Hey, I'm genuinely interested in like how you got into this and what you do. What's and, your story? Yeah, makes yeah. sense. And I was just like, wow, I'm not I'm not used to this at all. <laughs> and then one of my former coworkers who was also working there, he was getting getting noticeably irritated or just like off put that I was over there getting attention or, you know, couldn't I don't know if he just oh look, a woman who knows what she's doing, knows what she's talking about and is good at things. Mm-hmm. I don't know what was going on there but like you know he kept making comments throughout the day um i would be talking to somebody about you know my story they'd be asking me questions and everything he would come and butt in and say something along the lines of oh you don't want to talk to her come here let me show you this or oh don't tell her that your her head's already too big and stuff like that where i was just like all right cool i don't know what got your panties in a wad but like please this dude needs to chill. Uh, (laughs) And so that was kind of how that whole first day and a half of the show went with him. Mm. And then there was an incident one night after we had all gone out to dinner and me and this guy and one of our other coworkers uh, were standing outside of a restaurant and we were waiting for our boss to, he was inside, finished up, closing out the tab. And we're all out, the three of us are outside, you know, shooting the shit. Like, I don't even remember comments that were made up to this. He like got in my, he, he stepped up to me because it, it was someone where like he made like toe some, to toe. Yeah. He made some smart ass comment to me and I was, I was just like, whatever dude you're not going to do anything whatever like stop and he like stepped right up against me like stomachs touching i back i took a step back i told him to get the hell out of my personal space and he stepped Mm -hmm. back up real close to me and he put his hand around my throat and squeezed and smirked at me oh my gosh and I, i have to ask this what what was the other employee doing i mean um it, was he, he close? I, he could see this happening. I mean, yeah, he was. He was there. He was standing on the other side of a trash can. Oh, he said. Wow. I mean, apparently, he told our my boss that he was on the phone with his girlfriend and didn't know what happened at all. Oh man! Uh, but yeah, I mean, I I like put my arm up in between my neck and his arm, and then elbowed the hell out of him at least as hard as I could. And now you had to have been. He did the whole. He did the whole like, oh, I'm sorry, I was just kidding, I was just kidding. It's like you don't, no. you don't kid by t- you. You keep your no. hand, you don't put your hands on anybody. No, absolutely uh, not. So were you and, like shaken up then that night? Like at that moment, I the last thing I wanted to do was let him know that he had scared me or like gotten to me in any way whatsoever. So I just pretended like nothing had happened at all until I went back to my hotel room. I went to bed and I woke up in the middle of the night and couldn't stop bawling my eyes out. I have never been in a position where someone made me feel that scared 
in that way. I've, you know, I grew up skateboarding. I played rugby in college. You know, I've always been like, yeah, no, I can handle my own shit. Like no, like no man or woman is ever going, you know, yeah. no one's going to mess with me. It was and, a total power play. Cause yeah, yeah no, this cause he yeah, was feeling been, small. He had to yeah, try to the sexual thing by any means whatsoever. This, it, it was not, it was, yeah. it was a total power move. The next morning I told my boss about it. He, I, I have to pause you, Laura, because I have to give you kudos here and, and I'll tell you why that was an extremely courageous thing for you to do. When you have stuff like this, you can't help it. Like, it's kind of like the whole Me Too movement. Yes, it wasn't sexual, but that's also all about power moves. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. and it just, so much of it goes silent because people, women don't want to rock the boat or maybe they're afraid of retaliation, of losing their job or mm-hmm. maybe the, the black falling to lose their job, but they're afraid that the other men that they work with will mock them about it. Yeah. Now, did that happen after... Yes. Well, let, let's back up. What did the, what did the what did your boss end up doing after you shared that with him? Um, he was very angry. He considered firing him immediately, but that probably would not look great, seeing as that the show was only like halfway over. I, you know, took a few hours to like go try to get some, you know, recuperate on some sleep that I'd missed the night before, and then I worked the second half of the day at the show with him. And then the following morning... That that had to have been extremely difficult. I didn't speak a single word to him. My goodness. Yeah, yeah. The boss couldn't have switched shifts with someone, so you didn't have to be in the shift with them? Well, there were only like like four of us there, and so it was uh, like everybody's working all weekend, all the time while the show hours are going. This is a pretty extreme situation here. If I was a boss, I would figure that out. First of all, I probably would have fired him on the spot, but... But yeah, he, he did get fired the next, uh, the following Monday, coming up after that weekend. So good that he got fired. Uh, not good what my coworkers' reactions were to it. Word was going around the shop because, I mean, we all talk. I've got friends in the shop. Like, they're, they're going to tell me what the rest of these guys are saying. There were quite a few of them that thought that I was pulling some sort of a woman card trying to make this up because I didn't like oh, him. Oh, man. Get fired, which just makes me want to puke. Jeez, oh man. On the other hand, the other half of my coworkers, absolutely supportive, you know, like mm-hmm. gave me a hug. Like if I started to cry over somebody's stupid comment about it, like, you know, they'd console me and be like, nah, don't listen to that shit. Laura, what did. What advice would you give to other women that maybe they're in a situation at work where maybe it's similar to your experience, maybe it's not as severe, maybe it is, maybe it's more. What advice would you give them if they were in a situation like that? Don't just not say anything. Even if you feel like you can't go to your boss about it or your whoever the next yeah, your boss, owner of the shop, whatever, even if you feel like you can't go to them about it, even if you just tell like close friends or something, if you've got a coworker, you can tell about it. I think you're spot on. Because talking about it can be therapeutic in itself. Through talking about it, you may get to a point where you feel like you can go tell your the manager or your coworker could have some, or your friends could have other, right? What were your biggest fears when you went through the thought process of... Sh- Do I tell my manager? Do I not? Did you ever second guess like, hey, maybe I shouldn't? No. Good for you. Even when I told him, 
it, it was almost like he was trying to decide like, oh shit, do I need to go fire him? Or is this going to be like, okay, can we work this out? I don't know. And I straight up told him, I was like, I am never working with him again. Do I need to just give you my, do I just need to turn in resignation now? Mm, there you go. Good for you. That's a huge inspiration to, to females out there trying to navigate a situation like this. It's a leap of faith and maybe that is your only source of income, but man, maybe it's a blessing in disguise. No one deserves to have to deal with that. No, no, no one. And, and not just females, but you know, I'm sure men experience it with other men that try to have try to do power moves. Oh right? yeah, I don't I don't care if you're a man or a woman, like keep keep your like keep your hands to yourself. Don't put your hands on people. <laughs> right. After you had stayed working there for how long after this incident? I stayed there for a year after that. A year after and then you kept this was ongoing where other people would keep telling you about this person that put their hands on you, right? Not necessarily. There would be like comments that would be made like here and there. Um, it wasn't really until like I, there was one time like I, when after I had put in my two week notice after I'd gotten another job, a couple people told me, oh, well, he knows where you're going now. He knows you're leaving and going to this company. And I was just like, cool. Why would you tell me that? Like, even if you still talk to the, like, why, why would you come tell me that? Yeah. That's like creepy. Like, yeah. Weird <laughs> stuff. Like, I'm just like, I don't care. I want, I don't care. I never want to hear about him. Yeah. You're, you've moved on past that company. Yes. You started with a new company. Who do you work for now? Work for Hotchkiss Sports Suspension at the manufacturing facility in Mooresville, North Carolina. What do you do there? I weld and fabricate suspension parts, so control arms mostly. Got some like sway bar end links, sway bars, stuff like that. You've been with them for just since the beginning of the year then, right? Yep. Thanks for kind of carrying us through your experience. What about current projects? Do you have some fun projects that you're working on right now in personal life? Yes. My husband and I currently have quite a few things going on. I still have that 92 E30 convertible. I'm not daily driving anymore. I have a Toyota FJ Cruiser Trail Team Edition that I bought, currently my daily driver, and super excited to take it out on some trails this summer because, again, going back to when I was in college in the mountains, get really into the Jeep XJs, I really want to go play in the dirt. Uh, I can't say as if I blame you. I, I would love to go out to Moab. Uh, in experience rock climbing, scare the bejesus out of me, but I think it'd be such an awesome rush. Oh yeah, that would be so much fun. But yeah, I've got the E30. Uh, I'm not, I might be swapping the motor in that. I'm not sure. Kind of going through some different ideas of what I would put in that. Don't know which route I want to go in yet. We have a 1986 E30 as well. That one is getting a 2JZ out of a Lexus IS300 put in it. That project is slowly moving along. We've got a 318Ti, another BMW E36 chassis that we just swapped the... Seeing a theme with these Beamers. It, see, it's funny because like I come from work, like I learned pretty much everything I know mechanically on cars through working on old BMWs, mainly E30s. Yeah. And my husband comes from working on old like Supras and Lexuses. Like he knows two JZs really well. Mm-hmm. And so like with our with that E30 coupe, we don't want to have kids. So it's kind of like our little love child because yeah. 
got an E30 chassis that we're putting a 2J in and we're going to co-drive that car. I definitely want to try rallycross in it. I'm going to drift it. I've done, I did, I've only done two drift events, but both of those were invertible. And that was when I was daily driving it. So I was like, I'm not trying to wreck this. Is that just a massive rush doing that? Yes. Oh man. (laughs) After my my first run, uh, I had a friend of mine who was doing like some competing and drifting at the time I had him ride in my passenger seat. And my first run out, like after I came back, he was like, I was apparently my hands were shaking so bad. He was like, you need to just like drive around the parking lot outside and just chill for a second. Just get that adrenaline down. Oh man. See that, that's what I'm talking about. That just, I went to SEMA and you know, I've grown up around cars and cars with pretty decent amount of horsepower for, for street cars. And when I went to SEMA in 17, BMW and Continental had this little event where you ride in a BMW and they do, they do like really minor drifting, this little course to test promoting the tires and the beamers and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I thought it'd be fun, but I'm like, oh my gosh, I was totally blown away of how like just juiced I was after just the little drifting event. I'm like, oh my gosh, this oh, is yeah. unbelievable. It's I still think it's probably the most entertaining motorsport to watch. <laughs> I, I I agree with you. You see the like drag racing and even some of oh. the street stuff. It's like that is a huge rush as well. Don't get me wrong. But drifting versus going in a straight line. Now I guess if you're talking funny cars, that's kind of next level stuff right there. Yeah. But Oh man, it was something else. That's something I wouldn't mind sitting shotgun with a professional drifter and just experiencing it. That is, that's good fun. Well, I tell you what, Laura, I think we are ready to jump into the red line round. Oh what, boy. What the red line round is, is it's five questions, just rapid fire questions, whatever pops into your head. That is the answer to go with. There is no right or wrong answer here. It's just whatever moves you. You ready? Sure. All righty. Who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry? Biggest inspiration. Honestly, probably my husband. Given the hubby kudos. Don't say that word. <laughs> <laughs> kudos? No, hubby. Oh, God. It, hubby bad? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Giving your husband kudos. Do you have a, do you have a nickname for him? Shithead. <laughs> All in the name of love. Yeah, I mean, whatever, I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Two, where yeah. do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or get stuck on a job? Uh, I'd go with weldingtipsandtricks.com. It's a really good website for just like they've got welding videos and how to or like instructionals for if you're trying, even if you're out there like just trying to learn how to weld or if you just want to learn like a different welding pattern or doing a met or like welding a metal that you've never done before. Um, they're, they've got really good informational videos. And for the listeners, I will be sure to include that link in the summary of the podcast. Three, what excites you most about what you do? Finishing that bead and just being like, damn, that's pretty weld. <laughs> Gorgeous. That is artwork. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Four, what is a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in this industry when you feel stuck, 
unsupported or discouraged. Being stubborn and determined. Right on. Five. What is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in the skilled trades in motorsports industry? Find what interests you and keep pushing toward that and don't let anyone tell you you can't do anything because of your gender. Well, there you have it, folks. Laura Landis, straight from Femcanic Garage Podcast. Where and how can people connect with you? My Instagram is Lurland. That's L-U-R underscore L-A-N-D. Laura, thank you so much for being in the driver's seat today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribes for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?